Lord Jesus, we just ask for your anointing on your word this morning, for the moving of your spirit amongst us, and for faith in this place to advance the gospel powerfully in the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So just a huge thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for the opportunity to preach. It's just a huge privilege. I know there's so many able-bodied folk uh, in this room, and just been such great input so far, messages and so on, and... uh, the last guy, Andrew, thanks so much for your word. As for a shy guy, he didn't look too bad dancing up there, um, but it was great. So I bring you greetings from our church, Grace Generation Church in Peter Maritzburg, KZN, and uh, it's just great being here today. So I've been asked to speak on confidence in the prophetic, and uh, we're just trusting that at the end of this session, in combination with what Lex has been shared as well, in particular, we can pray for folk. And just see what God wants to do at the end of this time as faith rises that we just respond to what God wants to do amongst us today. Um, I realized when I was asked to uh, speak on this that um, most of us have probably crossed the line of faith. Is that true in this room? That's fantastic. So I don't have to be that missional in this meeting. So if you want to shout out a few amens, hallelujahs, bring it on. Fantastic. Amen. Great. So today we're going to look at the confidence in the prophetic, in the gift of prophecy. Um, Later on we'll speak on the foundational role of a prophet. Uh, This is module one, that's module five, and the difference is about 20 years between them. Um, But I'm hoping this session really helps us um, grow in our individual and corporate just confidence in operating in the gift of prophecy, um, which is really declaring a message from God in word or song, Uh, for the purpose of bringing revelation, edification, and instruction, and also to advance the kingdom of God. We're also learning, um, not an expert in this area at all, but uh, it's a great gift that God encourages us to seek. And uh, as we do that and increasingly honor the prophetic amongst us, we get rewarded. Alan Frau was with us last year, had a prophet in their church, Lane Redding, and he said, we got equipped in the things of the Spirit and our, in our sensitivity to the presence of God in our midst, and faith started to rise to trust God for a whole lot more. So we really need this in our midst. And um, so what I want to do is just make a few introductory comments about myself, just to kind of place myself as well. And then um, we'll look at where our confidence in the prophetic comes from. And then some practical how-tos, and then hopefully pray for folk at the end of it. Hopefully I can preach for not more than half an hour, and then we can... Pray for folk as well. And uh, just to also say, just for myself as well, um, bring you greetings also from my wife, Shannon, just to say that um, I am a man of the word as well. I was a Baptist once. We were in New Frontiers for many years. And uh, we love Michael Eaton and uh, the teachings of Scripture. So just relax and enjoy the ride. So the first thing I want to do is just, just, my first point is this. We believe I really believe as I prepare this, I just want to kick off by saying I really believe God has given us something in the advanced movement of churches. Stephen Ryan made a, a comment to that effect last year. He said, I really believe God has given us something. really believe God has given us something as a group of churches. And I want to kick off with that. I really believe that to be true. For me, this is really a second generational apostolic movement that uh, for us, as, as we've joined and linked with, with Advance, um, and it's been huge for us as well. Um, and just want to thank PJ, 
Steve, Rigby, and your wives for the leadership you guys have, have given us. I really just want to thank you guys for that. Thank you so much. You guys have just been incredible. Um, I'm, I'm still getting my head around the vocab, you know, hubs, zones, ecosystems. Um, but uh, I, just want to, I just want to thank PJ for your, for your gift, for your apostolic gift. It's been huge for us, and we love you, and I want to thank you. It's meant so much to us. And there wasn't really place last night, but I read an email from PJ about his trip to America, his upcoming trip, and I just felt as I was reading the email, sitting at my desk, God just spoke to me, and I just want to, I just want to share this with you. I felt the Lord stir me with the word regarding your future ministry on the North American continent. And I felt the Lord say, yes, I'm sending you, but I do not want you to go in American mode. I want you to remember the lessons you learnt on the plains of Southern Africa. In Zimbabwe and South Africa, it was there that I forged your leadership gifts. And it was there that I taught you skill and how to do battle. Just as David discarded conventional weaponry and thinking in order to fight Goliath, and he used weapons and tactics that he'd learned in another context in his training as a shepherd, God says, I call you to do the same. Just as David's approach on the battlefield suited his style and that which was learned in another context, I call you to do the same. And this may fly in the face of conventional wisdom, but it will prove mightily successful in removing giants and setting my people free. I will anoint you. I will anoint what you already know and lessons you've already learned. And they will prove effective as you encounter many standoffs and stalemates within the church in America. Tools and weapons forged in southern Africa that you have laid down, you will pick up again for use in America. Go with what works for you. Go with what God has taught you. Go with the familiar. Go with zeal in your heart. It was the zeal of David that made his onslaught against Goliath successful. It was faith in God that routed the enemy and got God's people into battle formation again. Just on the personal note, for you, Ashes, we prayed for you yesterday, and I just saw the, the difficulty in your own heart. I just felt the Lord would say to you, I just felt God say to you, Ash, I will help you personally. I feel God's going to come to you personally, and you will, He will carry you through this personally. And for a move, as a movement, I feel like this move to the U.S. is going to be like a switch, a lever that God's going to release. And it will cause more movement within this movement. It will lead to an enlargement of the sphere that will go beyond the U.S. It will be a geographical repositioning to draw the attention of many others. God is going to position you there in order to place you there to draw the attention of many others. And it's going to cause major releasing in this movement. Amen. And so I really believe that God has given us something in the advanced group of churches. For us in our church, um, it's been really helpful. Um, and 
it's, it's, it's really helped us through our connection with Advance, um, particularly the, this gospel-centered approach has been hugely beneficial and affected almost everything we've done in our doctrine and practice over the last five to seven years. The centrality of the cross and the resurrection has come center stage again, and uh, the sufficiency and the implications of the gospel, this gospel revolution we've all been through, has been massive. It's been absolutely massive, and I believe it's what God has given us. Not that we're the first to discover the gospel, but it's, he's kind of shone his light there again. What is the gospel is still the most important question you can ask anyone. And the gospel is Jesus, and Jesus is the gospel. And so for us in Grace Gen and Peter Maritzburg, being a missional church, learning how to do that, and being spirit-empowered has been part of what God has given us. We've had to work, talk through this stuff and wrestle through this stuff, seeing that mission, again, is at the heart of the, of the work of the Spirit, and we need further em- empowerings of the Spirit to make us better missionaries both in our meetings and in the marketplace. So we've been on a journey learning how to, me in particular, I suppose, how to um, edify and evangelize simultaneously. Um, people, to, you coined the word charismational, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so we've had to try and work that out. We've um, not wanting to be a church um, with uh, the presence of God or signs and wonders, if you like, without the gospel, or so gospel-centered in a way that neglects the experience of the Spirit. And so we, we say, let's believe what we believe and let's apply it. And we're still navigating our way through this, folks. And what has helped us a lot is explaining things really well in our meetings. So we've kind of stopped in our meetings and we explain to folks stuff. I'll talk more about that later. Um, we've needed to up to our awareness of non-Christians in our meetings. Um, and uh, we haven't also wanted to be so aware of unbelievers or, or visitors, um, more aware of visitors than we are of God. We don't want to be more horizontal and vertical in our approach. And uh, so we've just been on a journey. I've tried unsuccessfully to ban our elders from talking to Christians before the meeting starts, but we, we're still trying to get that right. And um, I'm learning to cut out amens and hallelujahs. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So in my own life, for my wife and I, Shannon and I, we got saved uh, in, the, in the late 70s at the tail end of the hippie movement with Chuck Smith, um, came over, spilled over to South Africa, and um, um, Richard Lovelace calls it a revival movement. We got saved in the Invisible Church in Durban, which is kind of like a precursor to many of the guys that went out into NCMI. And I remember coming into the church as a, I don't know, I was newly saved or about to be saved, and I stood in the back of the church, and just the preaching, it was reformed preaching and tremendous presence of God. Um, hundreds and hundreds of hippies and drug addicts and young people got saved. It was a t- quite an incredible um, period of time. And as I stood at the back of the church, just hearing the preaching of the word, I, I said to Shannon, I still remember it, I said, I said, I've never heard anyone speak like this before, and God just met with me powerfully. It was just wonderful. Um, and then as a, as a new Christian, just learning, realizing God had begun to stir me and give me a gift of prophecy. And uh, later on, moving to Cape Town, um, joining a Baptist church um, and uh, bringing, a, prophetic, bringing a, a kind of prophetic word in a Baptist church, which is not the brightest thing to do. Um, but that prophetic word led to the start of Jubilee Church today. Jubilee Church was started off the back of a prophetic word. It had huge implications, and, and later on, um, 
we just saw the importance of the prophetic and apostolic working together and much of the, of the, of the one new man in Christ that was given leadership by the, uh, the apostles, the guys we were working with in New Frontiers was, was, initially, was initially stirred by prophets as they began to speak into the movement. So um, it's, just, it's just wonderful to see this working together. And in our own church, we've attempted to be a prophetic people in a rapidly changing South African context. So what I'm saying this morning is prophecy is very biblical and powerful in advancing the purposes of God in the earth today. And, uh, and then later on in 94, many of you will know there's been, there was a fresh move of God through the church that led to further gospel advance and just openness to God and His presence. And so in my own life, just been privileged to be kind of part of two moves of God, if you like, which have deeply impacted my own life as well. We've seen churches planted, movement-shaped and lives changed through the prophetic. And so how do we grow in our confidence in the prophetic? Um, individually and corporately, how do we grow in our confidence? And I really believe that our confidence does come from the gospel. Our confidence comes from the gospel. The way to Pentecost is through Calvary. And as part of good biblical theology, the Spirit comes from the cross. And will always move us towards Christ. The key text is Acts 2.32. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so the Holy Spirit is really the promise of the New Testament. It's not a minor issue. Tom Smale says in his writings... So Christ is not just located in the first stage pardon department, which deals with my past, and the Holy Spirit in the second, more advanced stage of the current power department. Hallelujah. But as a spirit-filled church, when we gather, Jesus himself is in our midst. And friends, this is what South Africa desperately needs right now. A demonstration of church where people can see what life would look like when Jesus is Lord. And Jesus himself said to us that he would return to us in the person of the Spirit so that we are not left as orphans. In John 14, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. Jesus said that to us. And so we see that even in the early church, all the activities that took place in the early church, breaking of bread, apostles' teaching, fellowship, The gathering of believers, it all took place within a sense of the presence of God. It says, Luke tells us that an awe came on every soul. There was a sense of God in their midst. Jesus alive. God working out his purposes. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. All that Jesus began to do and teach. And friends, this has profound implications for us. That our gatherings are not just a celebration of what Jesus has has done in the past. And that's absolutely important. But it's also an ongoing celebration of his activity with us in the present. And so we don't go to the temple to find God. When we gather, God is amongst us. We're literally the temple that God inhabits, something Israel never experienced. And so the presence and the activity of the Spirit amongst us reminds us that Jesus is still alive and he's advancing his church. Hallelujah. And signs and, and, and the moving of the Spirit in our midst are signs of the fresh activity of Jesus and the presence of God. And so when we have that understanding, 
worship and gospel preaching. In fact, all that we do, it takes on new dimensions. We're not just simply singing songs about the Lord. We're singing songs to the Lord himself in our midst. And I often say to our church, we're not just singing songs about the Lord. He's with us. He's here singing songs to the Lord. Changes, it shifts things. And so, friends, knowing this as a biblical and congregational reality, we become very confident to approach the throne of grace, to receive stuff from God. We are individually and corporately become open to his voice, to his stirrings, to his promptings, to his surgings, to his conviction, to his whispering, to his touch, as we let God invade our lives again and again and again. Just as prophecy marks this new age of the Spirit, Acts 2.17, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so prophecy is a powerful sign for believers, for God's blessing and involvement in the church. And I believe that as unbelievers come into this atmosphere, into these kinds of churches, they encounter something very compelling. And they, they convicted that God is real in his church. And so my, my, my exhortation to us this morning is to make room for God in our meetings. I know that sounds a bit odd. But I think it's part of the challenge of leading this gen, next generation that are deeply affected by technology. And there have been many studies by that. And just a, a woman we've, I've been reading up on, Cheryl Turkle, she's a psychologist and she's written a book, Alone Together. She just says this, just one line. She says, we expect more today from technology and less from one another and God. And we seem increasingly drawn to technologies that provide, listen, the illusion of companionship without the demands of relationship. And we need to help people how to connect with God. How, the Bible says the way has been opened. We have access to God. And then the writer to Hebrews says, now let us approach God. I think lots of Christians don't know how to approach God. They don't know how to receive from God. We need to help them again in these areas. And we're talking not just about meetings, but the transformation of people. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, as we behold the Lord, are being changed from one degree of glory into another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so, friends, our confidence in the prophetic comes from what Jesus has done through the outpoured Holy Spirit. Secondly, let's just talk about prophecy itself. Let's just turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Read a few verses there. 1 Corinthians 14, it's a passage we've been in much lately. Um, Paul giving guidelines to the crazy Corinthians. Aren't you glad 1 Corinthians is there? So he says in 1 Corinthians 14, Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, and no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. This is the great, brilliant Apostle Paul, who even if he hadn't got saved, you would have heard about because he was so exceptional. 
and he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. Well, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. In verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And on he goes. And then let's pick up on verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. And he talks about tongues. And then verse 16, he says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving if he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then he says, verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Our prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Therefore, when the whole church comes together and we all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say you're out of your minds? It's a sign of judgment. It's not a great thing to do. That's what he's trying to say. But if we all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he'll be convinced by all. He'll be brought to account. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare God is really among you. And so let's just talk about prophecy for a moment. Um, we're saying here that spiritual gifts are special gracings or anointings that God will download, if you like, into the life of every believer um, and that are heightened and empowered through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Um, one, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, To each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And in the Greek that word is the dancing hand of God. That God's hand danced over your life and He gave you stuff to build up the church and to send you on your way. It's just wonderful. And so tongues builds up the individual, and it's a gift, I think, that's disappearing, and we need to recover it again. And prophecy builds up the church. And one of the main characteristics of the age of the Spirit is there'll be an abundance of the prophetic. And so it's important for us to have an atmosphere of faith in our churches in order to cultivate and encourage the prophetic. We've put some of our previous prophetic words up on banners, and particularly in our prayer meetings, we pray into those things. We pray with faith into those things. And I think it's part of not despising prophecy. Paul encouraged Timothy to recall the prophetic words he had received and to keep believing. And it helps us to wage warfare, identify gifts and calling, and positioning of pe on people and churches for kingdom advance. So this is a big deal. I threw in a quote from Wayne Grudem just to settle some. Wayne Grudem says, Mature thinking about prophecy would see it as something to be encouraged in the congregation, even when unbelievers are present. If prophecy is encouraged and allowed to function, it will convict both unbelievers and believers of sin and will bring to the congregation a more vivid sense that God is truly among them. It will be a sign of God's approval, of His presence, of His blessing upon His people. And so there are obviously different levels in the prophetic gift um, Paul encourages us to exercise. Um, you start with simple prophecy, if you like, encouraging one another. Um, and we must, we must have environments in our churches where people are not terrified to bring a prophecy. Um, you know, they can start off and just bring an encouraging word. That may later develop into a prophetic ministry for those who use more regularly and, found, and, and, and then possibly into an Ephesians 4 foundational prophet, which we really need. 
so we don't become non-profit organizations. <laughs> which, uh, and when we, when we teach on Ephesians for Prophets one day, if I can just slip this in, please don't get an Ephesians for Teacher to teach on the role of a prophet. Okay, just had to say that. Um, so the gifts are not just to jazz up our meetings, but to take ground for God in our meetings and in the marketplace. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 is in the plural. So we all encourage to prophesy that we may all learn and be encouraged. And prophecy obviously needs to line up with scripture, needs to be tested. And we need to encourage our elders and leaders to do this, folks. So it's not just visitors that are coming and prophesying or the auntie that sits in the front row prophesies between waving flags on a Sunday morning. And so let me just suggest a few how-tos. And some of this material um, has, I've, I've been helped by uh, Dr. T. Williams from Common Ground. Okay. Firstly, prophecy will move us forward. Where we declare a message from God in a language that we can understand that gives us instruction, encouragement, strengthening, and direction. It's speaking under the unction or the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's speaking in the present with impact for the future. It contains, secondly, it contains a message of revelation. Stuff from God we don't know. Obviously not the same as scripture, but revelation in the sense it opens up stuff. It reveals stuff. We, we, we see into the purposes of God. It gives us a glimpse, a window into the things of the spirit, into the things of God, which we desperately need. And it, as I said already, it begins with learning to obey the promptings of the spirit. And then there's interpretation. We ask ourselves, secondly, what does this mean? What's its timing? Do we understand it? And then application. How do we apply this? And I think some elders are better at handling this than others. And, and, and in a way, in our meetings, that doesn't result in another sermon being preached. And inhibiting the flow of the meeting. Because a meeting needs to float. It needs to, need to move. And you don't, want to some, you don't want to stop the meeting to explain what's just happened. You need to kind of just nudge it along. And I think there's some gifting in that. Um, so we want our meetings to flow. We don't just want to manage our meetings. I just want to say a word about prophecy and context. I'll dial down a bit because Steve Van Ryan did touch on this excellently last night in application. Prophecy and context and application. I think surely the need of the hour is not just expository preaching. More and more people are able to preach expository, although I think the level of preaching generally in the church is pretty low because there's so much good material about it. But surely the need of the hour is application. How do we apply the text in different contexts? And we need God to help us to see the bigger picture. New Testament prophecy is not just about helping fellow believers or reaching unbelievers, but being aware of the bigger social context. What's going on in the world? What's going on in the nations? What is God up to in history and how should the church respond? And sometimes it's, it's important for us to lift our vision beyond the nurture of believers and obsessing about unbelievers and declare what God is up to in history. That God is on the move. That God is advancing. And what the church is meant to be in the midst of that. Many of the prophecies in the New Testament spoke about Gentile breakthrough, upcoming famine, social upheaval, Paul's 
reception in Jerusalem and Timothy's call to fight a good fight on behalf of the churches in Ephesus. While worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, God broke in. And friends, we need this more than ever before. Our nation is at war with itself currently, but you'd never pick it up by visiting many churches today. I listen to lots of tapes. I listen to lots of preaching. And I can tell you right now, the contextual deficit is still the elephant in the room in many South African churches today. And it tells us more about our theological and social location and positioning than we realize. Number three, prophecy is better than tongues because unbelievers in the meetings can understand. It says that. We want them to understand. Intelligent for the sake of believers that they may be edified and intelligent and understandable for unbelievers that they may hear the word of God and be converted. And so the answer to misuse is not non-use as many folk are gravitating towards. I think we're seeing a general dropping off and disappearance of the gifts of the Spirit in many churches today. And I think if you're not careful, we'll have a generation that are post-charismatic before we know it. They won't know what we're talking about. And it's as primary a leadership issue as we navigate through these challenges. So the answer to to misuse is not non-use, but proper use. And it's a leadership thing. So Andrew Wilson, interpreting 1 Corinthians 14, says, Biblically, the priority for spiritual gifts is not intelligibility for unbelievers, but the use of gifts that build up the church. Intelligibility for unbelievers is an extra argument Paul uses to encourage the Corinthians to to not be insane about things. All right, number four. Personally, I think prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit actually, well-led, actually help unbelievers. See that Christianity is not just another religion, but it's a way of life. The Bible says, taste, listen carefully. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants to be tasted and experienced. And our job is, is, is to lead folk to God and communicate in a way that God is with us. He's among us. It proves that Christianity is not just a series of teaching. It's not just a philosophy. But it's a way of life. With God and others, it's exciting stuff. And I think it appeals to a postmodern generation that thinks with their feelings. And we often experience this trump truth. And I think, actually, the, the exercising of spiritual gifts is a major way we can love people today. We can love them and pray for them. And so sometimes you can't see clearly until you taste. You find, I think Lex alluded to it, but in, in, in John chapter 9... The blind man that was healed by Jesus, he had a testimony with absolutely no theology. In fact, when Jesus found him later, Jesus went to look for him and found him later. He said, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in in me? And the guy said, well, just show me who this guy is and I'll believe in him. And Jesus said, well, actually, I'm the guy. He said, then I believe in you. And and we must be careful that that we don't just have a theology without a testimony. Lloyd-Jones said, it's just as bad to have a theology without an experience as it is to have an experience with no theology. So practically, how can we grow in the prophetic? Well, we need to be filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and ask God to increase your thirst for Him. And step out. 
live with an awareness of the presence of God. It's something I don't always do. It's something we don't always do. But, but try to consciously live with a sense of the presence of God. Ask God to awaken your spiritual senses. Your spiritual senses are the equivalent of your natural senses. Taste, touch, see, hear. Learn to recognize the promptings and the stirrings of the Spirit. For many of us, we mustn't let our work for God replace our intimacy with God. Find places you can meet with God so that your heart's imagination constantly gets captured by Him. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Read well and widely so that your prophetic ministry and like worship has biblical content. It's weighty. Just let's talk about corporate gatherings for a moment. I'm nearly finished. Corporate gatherings are important because that's where the gifts operate in order to build one another up. And, and, and our worship should be more than just singing songs as we open up to the activity of God in our midst. Meetings often turn on a moment. And we need to ask God to help us to read meetings better. Some of the songs we sing are prayers. We need to say to, the, to, the, to our folk, folk, this is a prayer. Let's, let's, let's sing it in prayer to God. Sometimes just a, a particular song, a whole meeting will turn on a song. It's like God likes that song more than the others that morning. I don't know how it works. So we don't just go through the list. You, 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 you're, trying to, you're trying to navigate in the meeting in order to facilitate the presence of God. We need to check how worship leaders are doing regularly because they, 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 they burn out, they get dry. And both worship leaders and elders need help here. We need to make space in our meetings, I've said that already, for the prophetic, for God to break in, be sensitive to the moment, a particular song, a surge of faith, a prophetic word, word of knowledge, part of reading the meeting, picking up the clues in the spirit. I love that phrase. Don't be devotional when you should be exhorting or exhorting when you should be tender. Choose a range of songs for preachers as you prepare. It's not just what you preach on, but it's the impact of your preaching. What atmosphere does your preaching create? And we often team it on this because sometimes you shuttle your gospel bullets and other elders or guys need to come up and, and take the meeting. Often that's the most important time. You've preached, there's faith, God wants to move. It's not just coffee time, it's ministry time. Pray for people and listen to God as you pray. Not hear, hear. Become effective ministers of a new covenant. Your personal and church prayer life will incubate the prophetic. Many churches are dialing back, it seems, on prayer meetings at this time in this season and consequently seeing less of spiritual gifts. And I think we must all grow in this area. I think even as a movement, perhaps, more prayer as we advance the gospel into the nations. And find different contexts you pray in. Pray with your wife. Pray on your own. I'm not the greatest prayer warrior, but I, I find it just is so helpful. We've just got a new building recently. And I remember as a new believer, a new believer I, used to, I used to go and sit in St. Paul's Cathedral in the middle of Durban sometimes and just sit there and just got saved and just talk to God. And we've just got, been given an old Dutch Reform building And I've just been going there very early once a week in the mornings. 
and just sitting there and just enjoying the presence of God, feeling God meet with me. For me, our prayer meetings direct what happens on Sundays. They're absolutely vital. And so finally, I just want to talk to you about desire or zeal. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire the things of the Spirit. Especially prophecy. Friends, God-given desire is a sacred thing. And it's fundamental to moving forward in God. We don't want a great theology of the Spirit, but dwindling desire. Spiritual desire, spiritual hunger, where you're just hungry for God, and nothing else will satisfy you, is the most precious thing in your life. And it's often a precursor to eldership appointment, moving in the realm of the Spirit, reaching nations, and taking steps of faith. Even Jesus in Gethsemane was driven by desire to do the Father's will against his own personal will. In many ways, the kingdom of God moves forward by the desires that God has put within you. Paul says that in Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God has already been at work within you. So you're willing to act according to his good pleasure. And dare I say this, we're stepping on holy ground, but sometimes our God-given desires are there to move God himself. Where you lay hold of God and you, move, you want to move God himself into nations. You want to move God himself to see people saved. Not that God's reluctant, but the spirit in you cries out as you pray in accordance to the will of the Father to get things done. And so friends, we have an objective. We have a biblical confidence in the prophetic because of the gospel. But we also have a subjective confidence. That comes from what God is doing in me currently. And understanding the desires that God has put within me. In this room, God has put within each one of us desires to serve Him. Desires to advance the kingdom. And maybe you've been too scared to articulate them. And I think we need times of awakened desire and ecstasy. Not just to overcome sin. Let's turn that on its head. Let's push our theology further. But awakened desire to advance the kingdom of God. The expulsive power of an inner desire for God. And I believe God wants to reignite that in our hearts and move us forward. Passivity is often the greatest hindrance to the release of the prophetic. I was listening to a sermon at Jubilee recently. It was a George Verva. He's quoting C.S. Lewis. This is my quote of the year. He says this, C.S. Lewis. We have a tendency to think and not act. And we have a tendency to feel and not act. But if you keep thinking and feeling without acting, one day you'll be unable to act. And so I say to, I say to you this morning, this is not to put anything on you. I'm saying God has already put stuff in you. Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in you. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Hallelujah. So you rekindle the gift by not neglecting it. You learn to do the gifts by doing the gifts. You prophesy in proportion to your faith. Under the new covenant, God has given us the power to act. Under the old covenant, I might have seen what needs to be done, but I didn't have the power to do it. Paul says in Romans 7, 
To will was with me, but I lacked the power of the Spirit to make it happen. And Paul says in Philippians, that's changed. You can work it out because God has put desires within you. With the Spirit of God, you can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The realm of the Spirit has changed everything in how I operate and make decisions. And for some of us, God needs to reawaken desire that He's put within you. You know what I'm talking about. As I prepared this, I just felt this is what the Lord wanted me to focus on mainly. God has put desires within each one of us. And for some of you, He just wants to awaken them again. He wants to blow on them again. Blow on those embers. The stuff He's given you. The stirrings. The desires. The promptings. The longings. They're from God. They're from God. And maybe you've been too afraid to articulate it. God wants to awaken desire again. So I'll ask you this morning as I close, what, what do you desire? What do you desire in God? What do, you, what do you desire? What are you hungry for? What has God put within you? Let God breathe on it today. Let Him blow on it today. Hallelujah. Awakened desire. Channeled through the gifts that God has given us. Very powerful. I believe today God wants to just awaken desire in this room. Awaken to your desires. Blow on your desires. Paul says, I remember in a prayer meeting, I'll get you Paul, but I remember in a prayer meeting once years ago in Jubilee, I was, I was, I was we were praying and it was getting late and I was in the front and I was just really crying out to God and, you know, getting a bit, worked up and I was just resting and, and a, a woman, she looked at me and she got really quite concerned and she came over and she tapped me and she said, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And, and you know, we've got to have place in our, in, our, in our ecosystem where we can accommodate strong desire, where we can accommodate longings, where we can accommodate crying out to God with groanings that words cannot express. And I feel like that's, the, that's what God wants to do with many of us here. He wants to awaken desire, to get hold of you again, blow on you, breathe on you. And for, for many of us, it won't come as a revelation. It's stuff that's there that God just wants to activate again. Paul says, as I close, eagerly desire the things of the Spirit, especially that you may prophesy. Amen. So I think what we, what we can do now, where's Ben? Thanks, Ben. We're going to get Ben up, and let's just, let's just see what God does. Should we do that? So try not to go to the loo or grab a muffin, but just let's stay in the presence of God. And we're going to worship and, you know, maybe we'll move a few of these chairs. And, and it's also, you know, maybe need some healing of what Lex was saying. But we just want to meet with God. And we want to pray for you. And maybe, maybe just some of you just need a fresh touch from God. And awaken desire again. And just breathe and blow on you. And, and I think, just feel God speaking to me now. Some of you need to whisper those desires back to God again. Some of you haven't articulated them for years. You know? You need to whisper them to God. You need to tell Him. So, Lord, you've, this has not gone away. You've put this in me, Lord. I want to remind you of this, Lord. Come and.
blow on it again. And then watch what he does. Let's stand together as we worship.